Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Featuring players like all-star catcher Buster Posey. It's about, you know, just going out and, and trying to have passion for the game that I've loved since I was a kid. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Sun First Solar, known for delivering solar excellence since 1984 and recently voted best solar company in Marin County. We're also brought to you by TPC Harding Park, the only public golf course in San Francisco, offering golfers the opportunity to play where the pros play. Coming up, we're going to talk to former Giants pitcher and current analyst for NBC Sports Bay Area, Sean Estes. But first, I want to tell you about my favorite golf course, TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. It was an awesome PGA Championship at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco, won by Colin Morikawa, will always remember the shot he hit on the 16th hole. And now the course is open to the public. And if you're a resident of San Francisco, visit TPC Harding Park and purchase your two-year resident card, giving you immediate savings on golf and other programs at the park. Cut your green fees in half by purchasing your card today. Visit www.tpc.com slash Harding Park for more information. Now let's get to the conversation with Sean Estes from NBC Sports Bay Area. Well, Sean, thanks a lot for joining us here on Inside China Basin. And first off, it's so different these days with COVID, doing any kind of media. And the way you guys are doing your broadcast on NBC Sports Bay Area, it's very different. I mean, you're not in studio. So what's that been like as far as the challenge that it brings? Well, it's actually been kind of fun because, um, you know, we doing the same thing for nine years. You go to San Francisco, you go to the studio and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing. I don't want to call it monotony because I'm not doing every game, but, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's the same. I, I know what I'm, what I'm, you know, getting into, uh, when I go up to San Francisco and the format's always kind of the same. So this has been a challenge, you know, it's been kind of a fun challenge because, you know, we're doing the, we're doing the shows from home. Um, and I also did some shows from Michigan cause we went to my in-laws for a couple weeks and I, I could actually pack up my studio in a box, <laughs> put it on the plane and, uh, we were able to travel with it. I was able to set it up at their house, uh, you know, put a nice little backdrop in there and uh, do the show, you know, anywhere we wanted to do it, you know? So that's kind of fun. Um, and you just got to make sure that, you know, that, t- that you have wireless wherever you go. And you check in with back in the studio every day and make sure everything's up to speed, that there's no glitches in the technology. And, and then, uh, and then when the show starts, you're just pretty much staring into an iPad camera and, uh, you know, I have, I have a return camera as well or a return iPad. So I have like iPad, iPad, I even have a big light, a backlight, and then I have an audio box, and then we, we call into the studio for an IFB, and so that's what I hear in my ear, so I can hear everybody talking to me from the studio. Um, and, and other than that, it's pretty much business as usual, other than, you know, an occasional delay. The one, the one challenge that I have noticed has been is that when we're in studio and you have a host and one or two analysts, there can be banter back and forth, and, uh, you know, someone could even interrupt you or 
or you know you could have some fun back and forth with with the host or even the other analyst and with these the way it's set up now there's a little bit of a delay so the host doesn't hear me for a few seconds after I talk so it, it pretty much eliminates that banter and having fun you know not to say you can't have fun but it eliminates that part of it which which I don't I that's the one thing I don't like about this remote studio stuff but um, so far our shows have been have, have have gone pretty smoothly and as long as we're we're not necessarily scripted but the host asks me a question Kelly or, or Papa they wait for me to finish my answer and then they go to the next question. Um, but I've, I've kind of enjoyed it. it. It's been nice being home. Uh, you know, I, I watch the games from home. You know, I can have dinner with my family still and watch the game while, while we're having dinner. I can help put the kids to bed. You know, it's definitely uh, a different dynamic altogether, but we're making it work and we're actually having some fun doing the shows. Yeah, and it's 100% safe because you're not next to each other. And you think about the ball players, and uh, they're trying to make it work the best they can. The Giants have been fortunate so far. There have been teams that have not been so fortunate, like the Marlins and the Cardinals, to name a couple that have really uh, struggled with this. How difficult do you think it is, being a former player, knowing what it's like going on the road, being in the hotel, and how you can get a little stir-crazy? We saw the incident with the... Uh, Cleveland Indians, a couple of pitchers that went out late, and now you know they're going to be uh, out for a little while, quarantined. Uh, how tough is it for a player to try to follow all of these protocols? Well, it's extremely difficult, but I, I look at it like this. And, and, and granted, I'm sitting here in my home, and I don't have to be around the, the game every day. I'm not playing the game every day, where I know that when I was pitching every fifth day, that day I pitched, it was very difficult to unwind after I got done pitching. Um, you know, going back to your hotel room was not really an option. I mean, because you're <laughs> bouncing off the wall. You know, you need to go let off some steam in those situations. And, and these guys aren't able to do that. Well, especially the guys, you know, that play every day, it's the same way. You know, you think that you're tired, but, you know, there's adrenaline from the game. And, and a lot of times you're not ready to go to bed when you get back to the hotel. Um, and the last thing you want to do is sit there and stare at a TV or, you know, hold yourself up in your room and, and do whatever you do. I mean, play video games or whatever, but you have to, you have to, these guys have to take this serious because I look at it like this. It's just, it's a short season and it's a small sacrifice to pay to keep your teammates safe, to keep the extended families of your teammates safe, to keep the staff safe, to keep yourself safe for that matter. Um, I, I just don't, I, I think a lot of times the mentality is, and especially the young kids during the big leagues right now is they're a little invincible and they feel that it's definitely, it's definitely not, um, it's not like a joke that this is going on because they can see that people are getting sick and that obviously the protocols that they have to face day in and day out, they're taking extra precautions, but I think they almost feel like there's no way I'll get it. You know, I'll go out, I'll go to a restaurant, I'll go, I'll wear my mask and, um, you know, and everybody will be fine. I'll sit down, I'll have dinner with, with some buddies or some teammates. Um, but you can't do it. I mean, even if you feel like that you're being as safe as possible, these guys just really have to take it to the point of you go to the ballpark and you go to your hotel room and 
when you're at home, you go to the ballpark and you go back to your house. I mean, that's really it. It's a, it's a, it's a small, it's a small sacrifice. There's 60 games. It's two months of your life. Yeah. And you're doing it for a great, for a great cause. You're helping, you're helping people that you're helping people have their outlet outside of baseball, be able to watch the game. Um, you know, you're, you're allowing these, your teammates to go out and perform. And all you're doing is by being stupid and a lot of these teams, not a lot, but a couple of these teams that have had these outbreaks, it's just been, it's been dumb things that they've done. And their team ultimately has to pay the price, the, their teammates. And I would think that that would be enough. That would be enough, right, to have, to, 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 to see the damage, that, the collateral damage that happens from having one dumb night out. Yeah we'll have on a whole team. And I, we're seeing it with, with the Mar we saw it with the Marlins and now we're seeing it with the Cardinals. But I mean, I, there's been rumors of both those teams. The players have gone out and, and in the public and not been smart about it. And so that's, to me, that's just, um, that's inexcusable really. And even what the Indians did the other day, hearing about police that going out, I think Clevenger might even have been with them going out to a restaurant with their buddies after he pitched a game in Chicago and his teammates finding out about it and then sending him in a rental car. I mean, that's what you got to do. And I just think that, you know, I, I think it's very selfish. Um, and I, I hope that it, I hope that these other teams, the other players, they, they take this a little bit more serious and understand it's really for the greater good. You know, I mean, all things being said, it's for the greater good, not just of them, their teammates, extended. It's for everybody, for that matter. Just, just be smart about things. Coming up, we'll talk with Sean about the Giants when Inside China Basin continues from the sportsvirus.com. Jones goes back, back near the wall, shading the sun, and he dropped it. He lost the ball in the sun. Let's put the sun to good use at home. With a Sun Power residential solar system, your Sun Power elite dealer, Sun First Solar, has a wide range of financing options and they provide the finest customer service from start to finish, regardless of size or scope. Sun First Solar offers the highest efficiency systems, newest technology, and the best warranty in the world. Sun First Solar offers the most competitive price while not compromising on quality. This summer, let the sun heat your pool and eliminate your energy bill. Don't drop the ball. Call Sun First Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870. And get your sun power solar system today. All right, let's talk about the Giants. And I think every Giants conversation starts with Gabe Kapler and his new wave analytical style, you know, going with the metrics. And we knew that was the way that this was probably going to go. I mean, because you know, you got a new management, you got Farhan Zaidi and all that. Uh, but still, um, it's almost taking it to the extreme, Sean. And it's sometimes difficult for the old school people like myself to swallow. And we're trying, we're trying hard to accept, you know, hey, this is a new way of doing things and maybe it'll work out. But when you see a pitcher like Kevin Gosman, and I know you've already addressed it a few times, but he's in the seventh inning, 80 pitches. He's only given up two singles. His last pitch is 99 miles an hour and he's pulled from the game. It's just really hard to accept 
I know your initial reaction wasn't great to it. Now that you've had a couple of days to sort of digest it, uh, what do you think of that move by Kapler and what he will be doing going forward? Yeah, let's let's preface this by saying you're absolutely right. Everybody knew what Gabe Kapler was all about coming into this. We all knew that it was that, that a lot of the decisions that he was going to make, a lot of the decisions he was going to make as far as lineups go, as far as pitching changes went, as far as starting pitching, openers, whatever it might be, that it was going to be driven by analytics. Now, Gabe's the guy that played the game, so he, he played the game in an era where um, – you know, where we more of a, the old school way of doing things, let the starter go 100, 120 pitches. And, and, you know, if he's pitching well, you leave him in the game. Um, and then, and then, you know, you, you, you have a manager that is really good at managing a bullpen and that's an asset, right? Like we saw with Bruce Bochy, being able to put the right guys in the right situations and then win a, win a ball game. Yeah. It, it wasn't a, a computer spitting these things out and who's best suited for what situation it may be. Um, and so he, I would have, I would think that he would be able to integrate like a little bit more of that old school way into the analytics. And that's what was talked about that that's the way he was going to be, but he always has a lot a, a pretty rational explanation on why he makes decisions. So a lot of these things I feel like prior to the game are already kind of mapped out. If this situation comes up, if that situation, he's a smart guy, so he's got a pretty good recall. And the stuff that you talk about prior to the game, you look at all the scenarios that may unfold in a game, and then you kind of react to them based on what you already talked about. Now, if, that, if it's kind of already scripted in your mind and that situation comes about, it's really difficult for you as a manager to say, you know what, maybe man, let's, let's, not go with, let's not go with the book this time. Let's go with, I'm going to go with my gut and say, um, I'm going to leave Gossman out there, even though I think it's time to take him out. And then what if Gossman gives it up? And you leave him in there for a batter too long, and he gives up a three-run home run, and, and you're down three to two, and you and then you're kicking yourself, and you're saying, "Well, I should have just gone with the, what what we scripted out prior, right? We I should have gone with the analytics. I should have gone with what we knew about Gosman." And then you second guess yourself. This way, he doesn't second have to second guess himself because this was the decision that was made prior to even the game being played. He had all the right answers to say to the media. Now, you don't have to agree with it, which I, I don't. A lot of it I don't agree with because I think that you're going to get more long-term out of a pitcher like Gosman by allowing him to get through and battle through situations like that where maybe, um, you know, rather than taking him out and, and, and making it a situation where he can't lose the ball game and it's safe and then you can blame the bullpen on the loss, you know, you want to, and I thought Dusty Baker was, was, was really good at this, allowing the starting pitchers to work through some trouble. You know, I mean, letting them see what they're made of mentally. Yeah. So, and, and if, you, if you let them go out there and talk to him and let him talk himself into the thing in the game. Dusty would come out, and he wasn't always going to take you out of the game. He wanted to look you in the eyes, and he wanted to see if you had what it took to get out of there. And he felt like he could read you as a, as a manager – if you were BSing them or, or if you if you really thought that, that you believed in your stuff and that you could get this next guy out. And more times than not, you would do it. You would get out of those situations because you saw that the manager had confidence in you, he trusted you, and then all of a sudden now you gain confidence for the next time you're in that same situation that you believe you can get out of it. I believe if you're not put in adverse situations ever, allowed to be, 
then you never know what you can get out of that guy. You know, so I would have said, give Gossman another batter or two, see what happens, and then go. I thought he pulled the plug way too soon in that situation. And, and to be quite frank, I think he's done it a couple times this year, and it's backfired on him. So, um, but if he didn't have the answers after the game, then then I would probably even question him more. But they all they all have the right answers. They all have the reason reasoning, and there's there's two or three sentences of reasoning uh, after the game's over of why he made these decisions. So, um, you know, he's not just making these decisions on gut. There's definitely a lot more that goes into it. Sometimes I wish that he would he would go on his gut a little bit more. Let's hear what Gabe Kapler told the media after the game on Sunday about pulling Kevin Gosman. I think it was just a hot, a hot day, um, seventh time up, third time through the toughest part of the, the order. He had done a tremendous job. He had carried his stuff uh, into that inning. He had carried his location into that inning. Um, and it just felt like the right time to keep him healthy and strong and safe all the way through the season based on getting into the seventh for the first time. Um, and then at the same time, we had a reliever ready who we felt confident could get us a ground ball with a runner on first base and get us out of that. Inning. He's saying that it's striking a balance between now and the future. And I understand looking at the big picture, but going back to what you're saying, if you're going to pull a guy after 80 pitches in that situation, you're not helping him in the future, in my opinion. You're, you're really kind of not showing confidence in him. So I don't know about this whole big picture. You know, you want to keep him fresh. Yeah, I get it. But you, you also want to kind of test somebody, like you were saying. Yeah, you know, and as a pitcher, I, I, he, you know, he talked about being a hot day, which it was. You're talking about getting up and down seven times. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, it doesn't make that big of a difference how many times you get up and down. What makes the difference, especially on a hot day, because you're in the dugout, you're relaxing, you're not tightening up, you're, um, you're, you're able to stay loose because it's a hot day. I, I get it, like if you're in a, in a, it's like a cold environment and you have to get up and down so your body cools off and you got to go back out there and kind of crank things back up again. That, that's a little harder on the body. It really is. Yeah. But when it's a warm day, you're, you're staying loose in the dugout. As long as the innings are efficient and you don't have a lot of high-stress innings where you're throwing 25, 30 pitches in those innings, which he, what he didn't. I mean, you look at his pitch count at that point, it was 80 pitches. Right. And he had thrown more pitches in the previous game in Colorado. So to me, he's built up to 90, 95 minimum. And so that's where you do that. And you talk so much about pitch count. In, in that scenario, I would have looked more at pitch count rather than hot day getting up and down seven times because he's built up to be strong for 90, 95 pitches. Now, here's another thing, too, you got to look at is that you're never allowed to build up arm strength if you don't, if you can't go those 95, <laughs> 90, 95 pitches. Right. So, so you're not helping him out in the future. You're not allowing him mentally to work through uh, a, maybe a tough inning. Uh, you're physically not allowing him to get to that next level of 90 to 95 pitches to where you are building up arm strength. And he didn't have any high stress innings where he's putting a lot, uh, where, where the arm starts to get, you start to tax the arm. So not, you're right. I, I didn't agree with that. I understand like in a 162 game season where you're making 33, 34 starts um, and you are coming out of Colorado, which, which is hard on the body. 
and maybe that next game, that's a game where you do, you know, you do lower the pitch count a little bit because you're, you're, you want them strong in September. September's in two months or two weeks. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like, what do you, you don't say he has maybe seven or eight more starts. So yeah, that, that was a, that was a tough one. That was a tough one to hear. Um, and I'm sure Gossman didn't want to hear that either, but they know more about, you know, their pitchers makeup than we do. We know more about like maybe the history. Um, we know, we know less about, you know, how he, when, when, you know, later on in the game, maybe the third time through the order, uh, maybe the numbers say that, you know, he's not as effective. Um, we don't, I don't really necessarily know all that. I'm sure that factored into to Gabe's decision, but I come from the mentality is that if you, if you can't, if you don't know like what you have, you, you won't know what you have ever at that point. You know what I mean? You won't yeah. know if, if the guy can handle it mentally or physically unless you give him that opportunity. And taking that point over to the offensive side, I look at it that way with Austin Slater because I know coming into the season, Gabe Kapler's looking at him as a guy who's only going to play against lefties. Every once in a while, I'll hit him against a right-hander. And to me, that's not doing him any good because you're not showing him any confidence, and he's never going to get better against right-handers. Now, he hits two home runs, Sean, against a future Hall of Famer in Clayton Kershaw. And then the next day, yeah, he's in the lineup, but he's batting eighth. I was like, wait a minute, this guy just hit two home runs. I know it's a right-hander on the mound in Walker Bueller, but to bat him eighth, after hitting two home runs, I didn't get that. And why not just play Slater every day? The guy looks pretty good. Just play him every day. I don't care who's pitching. What do you think? Yeah, well, that's that's interesting because, you know, they, they came into the season and the reason they, they built their roster because they wanted guys that were versatile. They wanted to create platoon advantages against opposing starting pitching. They wanted to have their left-handed lineup and their right-handed lineup, which completely ha- could have a different look. Um and Slater obviously slotted into that playing against lefties. Donovan Solano slotted into that just playing against lefties. Uh, Darren Ruff, Chadwick Trump now, Mauricio Dubon, I mean, they slotted in against just playing against lefties when the season started. The season will dictate, you know, how, how, that, how that plays out because you have to – there will be times where those guys that are playing against lefties – are, are, are just are swinging a hot bat. Now you have to ask yourself, does that mean they're still going to be good against righties? Um, you know, maybe they, there's, there's always guys in the league that just have much better splits against one, one pitcher or the other, or lefty or righty. So, right. but you don't know unless you try, but like, okay, so you do try because he's hitting lefties well, and then he doesn't get hits. Right. So then you're back to, okay, well now he's just playing against lefties. Well, Solano had that opportunity to play against some righties early in the season, and, and he still delivered. So you kept him in the lineup because he was so hot. Slater was just allowed to play against lefties, got hot, and now he's getting an opportunity against righties. So I don't necessarily, yeah, I, I don't, I don't. That that's a tough one for me because I'm always like, I don't come from the the mentality of there's platoons. It's like if the guy's swinging the hot bat, no matter what, you leave him in there. Right? Yeah, because what if he 
what if you don't have another let? What if you're not facing another lefty starter for five days? Exactly. Or six days. Right. Like, are you just going to sit him on the bench for five days? Well, that's not doing any good. Now, he probably won't have his timing or rhythm against the lefty now. Now you're just doing the, the club a disservice. So, um, you got to give him some at bats against righties, and Gabe's doing that. And I think the fact that he allowed him to, to play the next day against Bueller, who probably one of the toughest righties in the league. I think putting him down in the lineup probably was a was a wise decision, just maybe taking a little bit of the pressure off of him, allowing him to to kind of settle in and see right uh, see right handed pitching and and um, maybe get some more fastballs, you know, hitting down in the order. So I'd have a problem with him hitting down in the order. I was happy the fact that he was in the lineup though. Yeah. And now he's and now we've seen him, you know, get some more at bats against against right. He's had to play himself into that position again. But now it's almost like you better it's almost like you got to deliver on a daily basis or he's going to they're going to go back to the, the the platoon you know and he'll he'll be only against lefties <laughs> so i know it, it's a frustrating thing right it's like it's like it's almost like uh it's almost like it's scripted out you know what i mean yeah your guys that will be in there every day no matter who's pitching and here's the guys that will play if they're swinging a hot bat and here's the guys will only play against righties and only play against lefties it's just it's tough man it's tough to be a manager thinking that way right it's like who who it would be tough to ride out a lineup every day that's for sure <laughs> well it's not a movie i mean that's the thing it shouldn't be scripted and you know right now as far as the lineup is concerned yastrzemski uh, and solano those are your hot hitters this team can come from behind too uh, you know a lot of giants teams in the last decade we're not able to do that. This team seems to be able to fight back from deficits. Uh, Flores is hitting pretty well, but there are the veteran guys that just aren't producing at all, like Pablo, Crawford, Pence. I mean, these guys, none of them have been able to get it going. Uh, is it that they're over the hill, or is it maybe you know just a slow start and it's hard they're putting the pressure on themselves? It's hard. It's a hard, it's hard to say. I mean, it really is. I mean, I call them the ring bearers because those are the four guys that, um, you know, have the rings um, on the team right now. Obviously, the veteran guys, Longoria is a veteran guy, doesn't have any rings. But those four guys are, are the guys that, you know, uh, they've, they've, they've done it. You know, they've had, they've had success. They've won. Including Belt, by the way. Yeah. Right. And, and so, and I, and I felt that this, this club, if they were going to have a, a shot at making the playoffs in the this, in this 60-game season, they really needed those veteran guys to step up and have bounce-back years. Um, Pence being excluded because he had a pretty darn good year for Texas last year. But, um, but you know, he, he started seeing about a little bit better, but still he really, really struggled at first as well. Pablo, I'm just not sure. Like, he just doesn't look good at the plate. You know, I mean, last year he was coming off the bench delivering pinch hit after pinch hit and he was hitting for power. He was driving the baseball. I mean, physically he just doesn't look good, you know I mean? And I don't like to, you know, single him out from a physical aspect because everybody's been, that's been, you know, his MO his whole career. Um, but he just, when it doesn't, when, when you don't look good physically and you look in the bat speed, doesn't look like it did. And the swing doesn't look like it did. Well, then you start to question, like, you know, is he is he too out of shape, right? So, and to me, that's all about the dedication. When you get older, you have to start doing things with your body that you didn't have to do when you're younger. And if you want to have longevity and you want to be able to produce in this game, you have to take care of yourself and you have to do little things to make yourself better. I mean, I even talked about Clayton Kershaw 
the other day. I mean, he felt like last year he, he had a rough year and he had a 3.03 ERA. Well, for the first time in his career, then his rookie year, he had over a three ERA. I mean, that just tells you how good he's been. But you know what he said? I want to go get better. I think I have more left in the tank. And he went to driveline and really focused on spin rate and getting the most out of his body mechanically to try to, to try to have longevity and try to be the dominant guy he once was. That's the mentality you have to have. You have to dedicate yourself to being better year in and year out as you get older because your skills start to diminish a little bit. So you have to find another way to have it get an edge. Have these guys been doing that? I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, I really, you know, I know Crawford's done some things with this swing this year to try to help, help, you know, with the new coaches there now that they've gotten his head a little bit about, you know, maybe making a swing adjustment and hasn't produced yet. Um, defensively, he looks like he always has. He's obviously very solid. He's above average defender. Uh, Belt's the one guy that, you know, I'm still shaking my head about because, like, I just don't see the any adjustments that he's making. You know, I, yeah. I don't see – he's obviously got the great eye and he gets on base because – he walks a lot and I wish he didn't walk as much to be honest with you. I wish that he swung the bat more. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that he's, 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 a, he's a type of bat that can be a difference maker when he gets on a roll because he's got a lot of power and he's got power to all fields. I just, uh, man, I just wish he would swing the bat more. And I know it goes against his whole theory of, you know, having a good idea of the strike zone, but there's some close pitches that he takes that I feel like they're good pitches for him to drive. And they may even be balls just off the plate, but sometimes he gets rung up on those pitches too with two strikes and, and it looks bad. So um, I just, I haven't seen a lot of adjustments on his end. Um, I, I still think Hunter Pence is, he, I still think he's going to hit this year. Uh, Crawford, I'm not sure, you know, if these swing adjustments are going to pay, are going to end up paying off. And then Pablo just doesn't look good all the way around at the plate. So, so I, I, I it, it's a hard thing because everybody has an end of their career. It's just how is it going to end, right? Yeah. And these guys, if they don't produce this year, if they don't start to snap out of it, then their playing time is going to be diminished because this management, the management's not going to have the patience with them, and it may carry over into next year. I mean, we may probably won't see Pablo or Pence next year, but with Belt and Crawford, they're in the contract for one more year. But they may end up being platoon guys next year. This this may be something that you see in 2021. So, you know, they have to play their way back into being everyday guys. I just don't, right now, I don't see it. When Inside China Basin continues, we'll talk to Sean Estes about the Giants' poor defense right after this. We all know that solar systems make financial sense and environmental sense. And when it comes to choosing the best installation crew in the business, Sun First Solar should be your first choice. Sun First Solar has provided solar excellence since 1984. They are Sun Power Elite Commercial and Elite Residential Installers with a reputation for technical excellence, innovative design, fair pricing, excellent customer service, and end-to-end quality and competence. Sunfirst Solar is a family business devoted to treating their employees, customers, the community, and the environment with respect, and they are devoted to renewable energy and sustainability throughout the Bay Area. There is no roof or project that is too complicated. Sunfirst has successfully installed solar on Spanish tile roofs, metal roofs, and very steep roofs. 
They also have extensive experience in solar ground mounts and solar pool heating. Competitive pricing, expert consultation, and the best warranty. Go local and get your Sun Power solar system from Sun First Solar today. Call Sun First Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870. To finish up, Sean, defense has been ugly, no doubt. And uh, Tyler Heineman is going to join this podcast as our next guest uh, for next week's podcast. And we'll talk about those catchers interference and what's going on there. But everybody else is also struggling, especially Donovan Solano, especially when he's at third base. He has not played a lot of third base in his career. He doesn't look comfortable over there. I think the shifts are also kind of working against him because sometimes when he's shifted, he's over at the shortstop spot. Do you think that's factoring into it a lot? What's going on with his defense? Because they've got to clean that up. They can't afford to make these errors that are just killing them. They're, the, the pitching staff has got to be saying, man, we don't have any confidence right now on, you know, routine plays. Yeah. And I hate to make the excuse that, you know, they didn't have, they didn't, weren't able to, you know, get a lot of time in the, in the shortened spring training, the second go around to really work on like kind of the fundamentals. This team, you know, moves around so much and they pride themselves on, on the versatility and be able to play multiple positions. But when you start to do that, if you don't have the 45 day spring training that you normally have, and you're not working at different positions and you're not working in shifts in shift positions, and you're not, you're not like getting the reps that way. When the season starts, then it's going to, the game will speed up yeah. the game. The game will speed up even more and it'll be more magnified and it'll be a bit more difficult to play defense. Um, they pride themselves on the fact that Donovan Solano can play third, short and second base. Devon can play center, short, second base. The problem is, is that I don't want to say they're out of position because they play these positions, but they just don't have a ton of reps in these positions. So, um, it makes sense, you know, because they didn't have a lot of time to ramp back up again. They didn't get a lot of reps at these positions with what, and they shift a lot. So they didn't get to work on these shifts and where everybody should be at different point at different times. And the different scenarios that, that could unfold that like, you know, 30 something games in a normal spring training will allow you to, to deal with. So I, I, I'm not surprised by, by the airs that have been out there so far, but, um, with that being said, they're big leaguers. They need to make the routine play. You know what I mean? And we've seen some some plays that have been very routine that haven't been made. And we've also seen a lot of mental mental errors that haven't showed up in the box score. So those are, to me, those are the ones that are really frustrating because um, those are controllable errors. And um, and so it's just right now they don't look like a great defensive team. Um, their best defensive team, in my my opinion, is Longoria at third, Crawford at short, Bond at second base, Belt at first, Dostremski in center, Slater and right, Dickerson and left. That's my and in whoever behind the plate. But and Solano's got to be your DH because he's on fire, right? And, and Solano's got to be in there, and he's got to be your DH exactly. So, um, but with because they move people around so much, you're going to have this. That's just, that's the nature of the beast. When you, when you, when you have players playing, I don't want to say out of position, but in positions, they don't get a lot of reps on. And as far as the catcher's interference thing, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. I'm not okay with the, I, I, it's frustrating, but I'm okay with it because I feel like that ultimately 
it'll benefit a pitching staff because Heinemann will be able to steal more strikes based on moving up in the box, catching the, the, the breaking stuff out in front to where he can get it in the bottom part of the zone where he can steal more strikes. Eventually, that'll, that'll, he'll eliminate all the catcher's interferences. It's just new to him right now, and it's magnified because they're leading to big innings at times. But I think in the long in the long term, it'll be a good move for Heineman and the pitching staff. So I kind of I'm not as concerned about the catcher's interference. And a lot of times, people say, "Oh, catcher interference." Well, how do you know if the guy didn't interfere, the glove didn't interfere with the batter's swing, if he doesn't hit the ball, if he doesn't get a base hit anyway? Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> so it's like you don't know what the result's going to be if he hits the catcher if he doesn't hit the catcher's glove. So I kind of. I kind of I understand what they're trying to do, and I like that part of it. Although it is very frustrating when that leads to big innings. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. And I agree with what you were saying about you know the defensive players that you know if they haven't had those reps and they haven't had a normal spring training. And I have to say, Sean, that I think that it is difficult to move to different positions. People kind of take it for granted now because you see so many players that are versatile. But I remember I one time was talking to a player about that, about going out to the field, and uh, I think it was Mark DeRosa, actually. And he said, you know what, you just you have to be an athlete. He said, you just have to think, I'm an athlete, I can play at these positions. But not everybody can do that. No, you can't. And, and uh, like I said, is, is that when you do play these multiple positions, you do have, I mean, most of the time, you get more reps, either in like um, either game situations or in spring training, or just based on the fact that you've had a career of moving around and you just you just know that you can get it done, and you know that you're um, an athlete and and you believe in yourself, you have confidence when you get out there. Yeah, obviously the game is is a lot mental and it is a lot about confidence. But when you um, when you go out there and, and you struggle defensively, it starts to get in your head and you definitely lose confidence. And then you're like, I don't want the ball hit to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I know that Donovan Solano can. He, he's a solid defender. But right now, I think it's playing third base right now is getting in his head a little bit. And you know, and when you lose confidence, errors errors are the the result. All right, Sean. Hey, thanks a lot. Really appreciate your time. You're doing an outstanding job on NBC Sports Bay Area and in those KMBR hits as well. Uh, we're really enjoying it here in the Bay Area. Keep up the good work, and thank you so much. All right, Joe. Thanks for having me on, bud. That's Sean Estes from Tuesday. Now, back in April, we had a long podcast with Sean Estes talking about his career and some great moments, and he told some outstanding stories. And I know that those of you listening – on the Believe Podcast Network, did not get a chance to hear that podcast. So we're going to tag it on the end here. Sean Estes from back in April. It makes for a very long podcast here, but trust me, it's well worth it. I always think about 1997 as being a, you know such a great year when I think about your career being 19-5, and uh, 3.180 RA. You guys uh, get into the playoffs. You win the division. You were an all-star that year. Was that the most special year, and, and what kind of a team was that? Yeah, I probably should have just retired after that year. That would have been a pretty good <laughs> start and finish to my career. Um, but, no, that, that, was a, that was just – that was a special year in a lot of ways. Um, you know, people ask me what your best year was pitching. 
I, I wouldn't say that was my best year, maybe numbers wise. Um, I felt like I, I had better years as far as how I pitched more consistently on a consistent basis. That year was just one of those years where everything just came together from team to man, personally, um, winning the fans back in San Francisco. I mean, just, you know, coming off of the strike year, 94, you have 95, then you have 96, the team almost loses a hundred games. Um, Sabian makes some pretty um, bold moves in the winter. And then we don't know what to expect. A lot of, a lot of, I remember reading a lot of things about our team. A lot of people picked it, picked us to finish last in our division. Um, there was a lot of unknowns coming into that 97 season. Um, I knew that I'd be in the rotation that, that next year, but I didn't know how the rotation was going to look. I didn't know how our team was going to look. I didn't even know on paper how we looked, but I knew that there were some names that, you know, that had a track record. Um, so I was excited about spring training in 97. Did I think that it was going to come together as fast as it did? I, I, I really didn't, but personally this, I, it was, it was one of those things where every time I pitched well, uh, we win the game. And if I didn't pitch well, we didn't win the game. Right. Or if I didn't pitch well, I got a no decision. If I pitched well, you know, the bullpen came in and did their job and, and closed it down. I ended up getting credit for wins. Uh, the thing is, is like nowadays wins aren't as important because you go to the bullpen a lot earlier, but that was what the beauty of Dusty Baker was, is that he really rode his starting pitchers more than anybody else because he truly believed they were the best, you know, guys on his staff. And so he wanted them to go as deep as they could and um, pitch counts weren't really an issue then. So um, I had the ability to go late deeper into the games because of that. And I always feel like in, in a baseball game, your decisions come around the seventh and eighth inning. Uh, and then that's why back in the day, you a good setup guy and a good closer, you know, if you can get through seven innings, you usually had a pretty good chance to win games. That was the case that year where we had a good setup guy. We had a good closer. We were reinforced at the all-star break with Roberto Hernandez, another guy that was a closer. She so had Rod Beck and, and Roberto Hernandez in the back end of that bullpen. Um, as a starter, you're just trying to get through six or seven innings. Um, so that, that was it. And offensively, our team was so much stronger, 97, uh, you know, far as run support so like I said I pitched well and I had a good first half I made the all-star team I never made another one again if you would have told me then that I never make and I would have said you're crazy oh, of course I'll get back to the all-star game right <laughs> um, but that was it it was a great experience with Rod Beck and, and Dusty and Barry Bonds and myself going to Cleveland that year uh, so yeah everything kind of just came together that year we end up winning our division uh, unfortunately we got bounced in the first round which is very unfortunate because we had to go on the road and play our first two games, which stunk, which never happened, which, which hasn't happened again since, but um, uh, because of the wild card format, but it, it was, it was a really special year. It, it just, it didn't finish the way that, that obviously we all wanted it to, but it was, it was the first team that really kind of set off a six, seven, eight year run of really good giants baseball. Well, one of the great individual accomplishments, really in Giants history, happened in 2000. So three years later, you had a game against Montreal where you pitched a shutout and you hit a grand slam. So the grand slam is the part that is really remarkable because, of course, you're capable of shutouts. But I don't think many people were thinking you're going to hit a grand slam. You only had four career home runs, if I'm right about that, Sean. So that had to be just amazing to everybody, right? 
You're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, when you don't hit many home runs and pitchers are not supposed to hit home runs, right? <laughs> uh, and there's a few that can do it. Obviously we saw Bumgarner hit quite a few. LeVon Hernandez was one that could hit, was one that could hit one out. Um, but that's not obviously what your job is. You're not, you're not supposed to go up there and hit home runs. Now in batting practice, that's a different story. You're trying to hit a home run pretty much every swing <laughs> after the first round, uh, just in case you do run into one in a game, uh, you know what it feels like. Although that, particular swing of the bat I, I i came up we had a pretty good lead at that point and maybe four five zero was the was the lead I, I can't remember exactly and um in that ballpark that was a pretty good lead at league so that's a pretty good place to pitch and and uh i was thinking i was just going to take a pitch because you know i mean bases were loaded we had a lead i didn't quite know if that was the right time to go and ambush to first pitch but i went up there literally with the bat on my shoulder and just was going to track a pitch Anybody knows what track a pitch means. You're going to take a pitch, but you're going to get your timing on it. Well, that was my intention, 100%. And as soon as the ball left his hands, for whatever reason, I said, I'm, I, I just swung. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what got into me, but maybe <laughs> the pitch just looked so good that I just had to swing. But I swung the bat, and I hit it so pure. When you hit a ball so pure on the barrel, you don't feel it. So it's a weird feeling. And – at first I thought I popped it straight up in the air. And so I'm kind of looked up in the air and then I looked and I saw where the ball was going. I said, Oh my gosh, that's got a chance to go out because I'd hit an, enough of them in batting practice to where I kind of knew that the feeling of one, but you can square a ball up and hit it straight up in the air as well. So I realized as soon as I saw the trajectory of the ball, I got a chance to go, but then I wasn't sure so I picked up the pace a little bit and then it went out of the ballpark. And from that point on, I, I honestly don't remember rounding the bases. <laughs> now you talk about having an out of body experience. The place went bananas. Um, I was running like, I, I, I don't know how fast I got around the bases, probably pretty quick. Um, but I, I couldn't stop but smiling. You're not supposed to smile when you hit a home run. That's like the rule of thumb. You know, you never want to see an opposing player hit a home run and start laughing. Um, and so like Bumgarner, he'll actually watch the guy around the bases because he wants to make sure he's not getting shown up. But anyway, I was just trying hard to keep a grin off coming on my face, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it because I've, I've seen replays of it that I, I was smiling. Uh, and then I get back into the dugout, everybody's high-fiving and then Barry comes out and he starts to bow to me which was pretty cool because they had that on, on camera. I got to see that after the fact as well. So when you get the home run King bounty after a home run, you know, you did something pretty good. And then, you know, uh, but yeah. And, I, and then I got to come out and give, you know, the, the curtain call and, and everything. So um, the hard part was after that, fortunately the ending went on a little longer where I was able to actually allow myself to catch my breath allow the heart rate to slow down a little bit where I was able to go back out and pitch. Cause a lot of, if that just, if bam, the next batter gets out and I have to go out and pitch. Um, I'm not sure how the rest of that game goes or that inning for that matter. Uh, I needed to get my legs back underneath me. Uh, and fortunately after that, I was able, uh, I was able to pitch a pretty good game and, and we shut down the, the expos. Um, never heard from that pitcher again in the big leagues. <laughs> matter of fact. Uh, Mike Johnson was his name, but then in 2009, I'm in spring training with the Dodgers. And I hate to even mention that because I never pitched for the Dodgers in the big leagues, but I was in spring training with them and I'm on the training room table. And it was during the WBC and get treatment on my shoulder. And I was just kind of listening to the WBC. And all of a sudden I hear coming in for Canada out of the bullpen, or he might've been starting. I can't remember was Mike Johnson. And I looked up. 
And this was, you know, nine years later. I hadn't heard from him since. And sure enough, it was the Mike Johnson that I hit the grand slam off of. He was either starting or relieving for the Canadian national team in the WBC. And uh, I just, I had, I had, I had to tell everybody in the clubhouse at that point, you know, that I took that dude deep. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't throw at you yeah. because you were smiling, but. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure he was, I'm sure he got taken out of the game soon after the home run. I did want to ask you a couple more things about that. One is you were the first Giants pitcher ever to hit a grand slam. That's pretty cool. And you almost had a chance to hit another one. You came up with the bases loaded later in the game, right? You, you could have hit yeah, two like in to, one game. I like to embellish that one because not intentionally, but because other fans that were at that game, that's the game that gets brought up the most in my whole career as a giant um, is that a lot of the fans who were at that game have had a chance to talk to me, you know, maybe being out at Willie Mays Plaza, doing the pre and post, whatever, see me around the ballpark. They bring up that game and they said, and you came up and hit one out the uh, foul later on in the game with the bases loaded. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, but, but I, it wasn't even close to going out. It, it looked like it off the bat, but it would have probably landed about, I'm saying probably 30 feet from the left field wall had it gone and had it gone fair. Uh, but yeah, I came up later on in the game, bases loaded. And that time, like I've mentioned the first time I came up, I was going to take the first pitch. And so that was a fluke. That time I'm trying to go deep because I said to myself before I came up to the plate, I said, you know, I'm sure there's been some grand slams from pitchers, but I'm sure there hasn't been two in one game. Now I think there has been, but, um, uh, I can't Tony Cloninger, I think. I think Tony Cloninger. Tony Cloninger, yes. Yeah, there's some okay, baseball that's history, right? I, I, yeah, I knew, I knew I had a long last name. But yeah, I heard after the fact that it had been done. So <laughs> it wouldn't have been as big a deal if I were, but I was thinking at that point, yeah, I don't, I'm pretty sure no one's ever done that before. So when I, when I came up my second at bat, I was definitely trying to leave the ballpark. Um, and I got a fastball and I ended up turning on it and it, and it went foul. But I did get a base hit. I think I drove in another run or two in that in that at bat. Wow. So that that was one. That was a, a one of those games that you'll never forget. Uh, it never will happen again. And my it obviously never happened again in my career. But I did have to get on Bumgarner because he did hit a grand slam, and I tell him that you know it was his first one. I did tell him I said you know you're the first guy to hit a grand slam myself. Thank you. <laughs> and he ended up hitting another one. So he has two now. So yeah, <laughs> everybody forgets about mine. Yeah, he's just for you. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, well, you know, every you, once in a while, on this on Giants notes, this day in history, May twenty fourth, whatever year it might be, um, they'll usually talk about the the Grand Slam, and then Krug and Kuiper forced to say something again about it, which I'm sure they they get tired of. But yeah, it, it's it, it's been it was a long time ago. Well, twenty years, twenty years, twenty ago, years ago, almost. yeah. <laughs> Almost a month. We're a month away from it. Twenty years ago. Well, another moment that kind of seems to me like it was yesterday was 2002, and you're a Met, and you had a brief stay with the Mets, but man, you were involved in quite a key situation. The Mets and the Yankees, of course, have always had that rivalry, you know, since we've had uh, interleague play, but they met in the World Series, the Subway Series in 2000, and there was all kinds of animosity between Roger Clemens and the Mets, and especially Mike Piazza, and Piazza got drilled, and Piazza hit one back to the mound, and the bat broke, and uh, Clemens thought the bat was the baseball, actually hit the, you know, he fouled one, I think, it was the bat that came out towards Clemens, and he threw the bat towards uh, Piazza, so there was a lot of animosity and anger, 
And these two teams had not met with Clemens batting since the 2000 World Series. So there was a chance to get some retribution. And you were the pitcher who had to put out that retribution. And you've told this story, I know, many times before. But, man, it must be clear in your mind about how that went and what was going through your mind when you had to pitch to Clemens. Yeah, lucky me, right? I happen, I happen to be the guy pitched in that game um, in 2002. Uh, just luck of the draw right there. But, um, I mean, what a build up to that game. I, I, I actually didn't, I watched obviously the world series and I remember Piazza getting beaten earlier on in the year. Um, but I didn't realize until my Mets teammates had told me a couple of the guys that were there the previous year in 2001, Clemens was scheduled to pitch against them at, in Shea. I was on the giants that year. Um, but something happened to Clemens and he had an injury when he was going to pitch that game. <laughs> I, I want to say he maybe made a start post, you know, the, the, the day appearance that he was supposed to pitch in. So the, the Mets fans, guys that were on him in 2000, they, they've assumed that he was ducking at, you know, 2002, fast forward, he couldn't do it two years in a row, right? Not that I think – I don't understand. I, I don't understand why he would even have done it in no one. Like, he knows he's going to get drilled. What does he care? I mean, he's a big dude. Just get it over with, right? Like, if I'm him, I'm thinking, like, I'm taking the ball. Go ahead and hit me. I'll take my base, and and uh, then I'll try to beat you, you know, and it'll be a done. But – he didn't in 01. He he ducked him in 01 and so too he, he couldn't. So I'm I'm on the mound. And I didn't have that same animosity toward Clemens that everybody else did on that team. Or the fans for that matter. Heck, I was a giant note two thousand. <laughs> right. Um, we're trying to beat the Mets in two thousand. They ended up beating us and going to play going to play uh, the Yankees and Roger Clemens. And, and so I didn't like the Mets. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like the Mets. I didn't like Mike Piazza. I didn't care. So now I'm his teammate. I had to like him. Well, I feel like that, you know, Piazza had a chance to, to – I always looked at it like this. Piazza was the catcher, okay? If you – what position on the field – outside of a pitcher can you get close to a, a batter it's a catcher yeah right right and he's in the box if you don't like the guy and you have an issue with them that much the guy tried to end your career according to mike he feels like that clemens drilled him in the head on purpose or tried to and he could have ended his career i agree with that i would hate the guy i mean i would do it <laughs> but if the guy steps in the box and i got a chance to if I got a chance for retribution. I'm going to take care of a business right there. Yeah. Why I'm not, not? Let my pitcher take care of it for me. What is it getting hit in the leg or in the, in the butt going to do? So just start right? a fight that right then. Just go, just go just after him. Go. Yeah. I mean, you have the right, you, you're sitting there, you look up to me and say, Hey man, you get up. If you want to fight him, go ahead. Yeah. Why do you have to hit him? Like, why does it, why, why are you allowing your pitcher to hit the guy? I don't, I just, I never understood that. It bothered me, but I was going to do what I needed to do. So I didn't, I talked, I wore it from the media for four days leading up to that start. Like I wore it, like every day media wanted to come up and just talk about like, what are you going to do to Clemens? You understand the history? I'm like, yeah, I know now 
I, I, I got done pitching the game before that, and I actually pitched pretty well. And I didn't pitch well at all that year for the Mets. <laughs> Very few games I pitched well. Well, I pitched well in the start before that, and I came in, media came in, and they didn't they didn't talk to me about the game at all. They said, you know, you, you know your next start is against, right? I'm like, actually, I hadn't even looked. I think it's the Yankees, but yeah. And you're like, well, no, not just the Yankees, but Clemens is pitching. Well, great. He's going to be a future Hall of Famer. Ah, I can't wait. No, you know you have to drill him, right? So this came – this this happened – this went on for four days. So I didn't hear one word from Piazza or Valentine, our manager, for four days, okay? Mo Vaughn, who was on our team, Robbie Alomar on our team, all these guys, veteran guys that weren't on the team in 2000, they came up to me and they just said, hey – do what you got to do. If, if Mike or Bobby don't say anything to you, you go out and you, you're, we're trying to beat the Yankees. Don't worry about any of this noise going on around you. I'm like, all right. They said, but if Mike says something to you or Bobby says something to you, obviously you got to take care of things. So I, 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 the day of the game, I don't hear anything. The day of the game, Bobby, on, I'm talking about on the way out to the mound. I'm not talking like, Two hours before when I'm eating my peanut butter and jelly in the in the in the food room, on the way out to the game to get warmed up, Bobby pulls me into his office and Mike's sitting there. And they say, uh, I already knew what it was about, but I'm just like, really? You're gonna tell me that right now? You had a, you had all week to tell me this. Fine. He's like, all right. And it was quick. It was like, here's the sign, you know, here's the sign. And when you get the sign, you throw it. So like, well, what is okay. the sign, by the way? The middle finger? No. <laughs> yeah, right. No, that would have been way too obvious. Like nobody knew. I mean, the state. They honestly it was a, it was a national game, I believe, and the place was sold out. So everybody knew it was going on. So I think the sign was so catcher's catcher's right handed. I think it was just a glove to the, his, his catcher's glove to the left kneecap. I think that was it. And then he puts the sign down, but glove to the left kneecap. So he comes up in the third inning, pitched pretty well the first two innings, nobody on, two outs. I actually don't even – they might have had a hit, but I think I don't even remember the situation. But I'm just waiting for the sign. So I get it, and I reach back, and I'm like, this is my one chance. Because I know that if, like, I, if I go up and in or if I go behind him – or, um, you know, I got one chance cause I, I, I there probably, I knew there would probably be warnings. Um, and so I reached back and I let it go as hard as I could. And, and as we're seeing right here, I think yeah, we we're seeing see the results. It just goes right behind him. He, he moves, he moves his, 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 uh, hind end out of the way. Right. And it, it misses him. Umpire comes out. And says the both benches are warned. Next time someone gets drilled, they're getting ejected. So I'm like, great. I'm like, now, okay. I said, well, if I get the sign again, I'll, I'll, I'll throw at him again. I'll, I'll throw at him until I hit him. Now, you got to understand, like, I don't have the same animosity to say maybe an Al Leiter does because Al Leiter was on that team in 2000. He would have kept throwing at him, got ejected and, and whatever, gone and hit the showers early. But I'm thinking, like, if I don't get the sign again, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get these guys out. I'm pitching against the Yankees. They're 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 juggernaut. They're the powerhouse, right? I want to pitch well against them for my for our team's sake. So I don't get the sign again. Hmm. 
So I, I just kept pitching. And um, obviously, I got there was a lot of booze. Um, but I ended up pitching one of my better games that year. I think seven shut out. I punched out, I think, 11 guys. Um, and I, later on in the game, I come up and I end up hitting a home run off of Clemens. So that's amazing. <laughs> in my opinion, the retribution was, 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 was all that. That's all, that's all I needed. And, and you, to be honest with you, like knowing Clemens and the ego that he has or had, that probably hurt worse. That probably hurt worse than getting hit by a pitch. Um, a, 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 an opposing pitcher, you know, cause he was an American league guy. He didn't have to face pitchers. So, and he never gave up a home run to a pitcher after that in his career. And he pitched a little bit in the National League. So uh, that probably hurt worse. It felt, trust me, it felt a lot better for me to do that than it would have to actually drill Roger Clemens. So one of those, another one of those games I'll never forget. Um, because it was a national game, a lot of people watch the game. It's another game that gets brought up quite a bit. Um, but as Mets fans, I don't know if they'll ever feel like I did the right thing. Uh, they wanted me to hit them. Uh, and we had, we had a, we had a team party that night. It was a, it was a duel. It was a joint party. It was a Yankee met party at a guy's uh, club, uh, Mark Guthrie and our team with the Mets and Roger Clemens um, both had, this guy was their mutual friend and he owned the club. So there was this, there was this mute, this joint team party after the game that night it was always planned. And I knew Giambi from the A's days when I played for San Francisco. He was on the Yankees at the time. First guy I run into, because I go to this party, is him. <laughs> Comes up, gives me a big hug. He's like, man, he's like, there's no way you could have won. He's like, even if you would have, with the Mets fans, he was, he was pumped for me that I hit the home run, you know. But he said, and he's on the losing end of this, right? <laughs> but he said, even if you would have hit Clemens, the Mets fans would have not been, they, that still wouldn't have been happy. They wanted Roger Clemens to be hit in the head, taken off on a stretcher, blood coming out of his ears, oh. and his career finished. That's how much they hated Roger Clemens. So, you know, now do I if I drill him? Yeah, obviously they they they're much more okay with it than him not getting hit. But at the end of the day, like I was okay with the way it all finished up. I, I know that the Mets fans weren't. Maybe even some of my teammates weren't. Um, Bobby Valentine obviously showed some frustration in the dugout after I missed him the first time. So I'm sure he wasn't okay with it, but, uh, looking back on it, I think it's a much better story than actually hitting him. And he goes to first base, actually being able to come up and hit a home run, uh, much more enjoyable for me anyway. That's Sean Estes from NBC sports Bay area. And that was from back in April. So I want to thank him for the great stories. It was well worth the hour. <laughs> on this podcast and uh, thanks to him for joining us also on Tuesday coming up for next week's podcast Giants catcher Tyler Heineman for now I'm Joe Castellano from the sportsvirus.com thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network thank you for listening to Believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.